Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. For my third and final guest today, uh, one of the smartest people I know. He now holds a position that's been held by other uh, giants in the community, uh, such as Fred Pollock and Matt Thatcher and so on and so forth. He's the person that I text when I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. And if you know me, that's quite often. Uh, Mark Baseman was nice enough to stop by today, even though he thought it was tomorrow, uh, <laughs> to uh, do his podcast. So I appreciate you jumping in the car and racing over here. I would be thrilled if we were done right now. I'm really taken aback by that introduction. It doesn't get any better than that, it's does it? It's not going to get better. It could get a could lot get a worse. Lot worse. Right, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, so I appreciate that. Yeah, I feel I feel terrible that I got the date wrong. I think this is this is a good example of how useless attorneys are. <laughs> I mean, you get the you get the hard stuff right and the easy stuff wrong. I and it's even worse cuz I had it on my calendar for last Friday. And I happened to see it yesterday, and I was like, that's not right. So I just moved it to, to tomorrow, and apparently that wasn't right either. Well, no harm, no foul. I appreciate you coming in. Now, I don't know if you remember the first time we met, but I do. Do you remember the first time we met? This, it's okay. This, this it's not a great like, story, but yeah, right. it's a trap. It's this a trap. feels like a trap. It's a trap. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was a Friends of Joshua House dinner at Maggiano's at West Shore Mall, and you were, I think, a new associate with Mike, and Mike was on the board. Mike came, and it, you and Mike sat next to my wife, Dina, and I. Do you remember this at all? N not at all. Okay. Well, it happened. And I remember appreciating how snarky you were. And I, and I use that in the best possible connotation. You were just were cracking jokes left and right. I think Mike was just annoyed that he had to be there. And I was amused to be sitting next to the both of you because I think I was in the middle of like a, 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 a barn burner of a case with Mike at the time. So I, that that night has always kind of stuck out of my memory, but it's okay if you don't remember it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's nothing personal. S no, that's fine. Uh, so uh, I'm kind of starting out at the end and going backwards. But uh, so when I met you, you were working uh, at Older and Lundy. Was it Older and Lundy and Alvarez at that time, or it, was it, it just Older and Lundy? It was Older Lundy and Weissman when oh. I got there. Uh, and I don't even then think I ever knew that there was a Weissman. There, there was a Weissman. And he left a couple years in, and then it was Older and Lundy, and then it was Older Lundy and Alvarez. My email address just kept changing. Just kept changing. What year did you start there? 2011. Okay. And was that your first job out of law school? or? Yeah, I, I, I went to law school later in life. It was not my dream. So. You say that like you're old, but you appear to be relatively young to me. How old are you? I, I'm 37. Oh, there you go. Yeah, 38 next month. Okay. Um, but I... I I had a lot of detours. I did grad school. I went and had a job for a couple of years and then decided. Where did you go to law school? Temple in Philly. Ooh, how was that? So, Are you a Philly guy by originally? Or? Uh, yeah, I'm a Philly guy by birth, but somebody who came. So I, I born in Philly, grew up in the Philly part of New Jersey, uh, came to Florida when I was about 12, and always had weather nostalgia. Yeah. So because – you know, when you're 12 and it snows. That's awesome. It's awesome. It's a snow day. Yeah. So I always had that, and I always wanted to go back. And I had extended family up there. And when I decided to go to law school, I decided I was going to change everything. And that was part of the big change, to go back up there. And that took about almost exactly two and a half years to change my mind. Right. 
I was up there, if you remember, the Snowmageddon year. Yeah. So that was my second year up there. Snowmageddon was great. Makes it easier to study, it would seem, though. So, yeah, Snowmageddon was three or four blizzards, basically. Yeah. But a blizzard means you get the day off the next day. You shovel the snow with your neighbors. You drink hot chocolate. It was great. The next year was one of those real years where you get like four or five inches of snow every couple of days. So you have to get up at six in the morning, shovel, then slide your way to the train. That's what reminded me how easy it is to live in Florida. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I as a larger individual, hate the heat, hate being out at the beach with my shirt off, these sorts of things. But uh, I, as much as I bitch about it, I think in my dotage, it's just an easier uh, life to live than that There's Philly no question. lifestyle. And, and for the listener, we should point out your shirt is off now. Yeah. Well, yeah. well not just my shirt, but of course. Well, I can only we'll, we'll get there later. That's, that, that's, that's, that's the uh, coup de grace. That's the big uh, finish. But no, that, I think <laughs> at the end of the day, especially somewhere like Tampa, it's just so much easier to live here. You need one wardrobe. There are parking lots. Uh, I, I, I remember sitting in class in law school in the winter and and hearing a friend come in just shivering and saying one day when i have enough money i'm gonna move to florida and thinking well it doesn't cost any money yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. you can do that right now yeah you need money to live up there (laughs) yeah that's out here now are you an obnoxious sports fan being from uh that area i mean are you want to uh chuck full bottles of beer at people and spit on players and stuff no i'm somebody who i i do i'm a Eagles fan. Okay. Um, I'm a Phillies fan sometimes. Yeah. Um, I just I don't always have the attention span for the baseball season. But I'm, I'm somebody who uses it only as a distraction. Right. I absolutely love the Eagles and can not tell you half the people who are sure. on the team. Well, that's, I think that's probably a healthy relationship with sports. Yeah, and, and there's a, it's an angry relationship. It's one of those things that I could count on in the fall, my brother and my dad and me on a text chain saying just angry, bitter, horrible things. And it's, it's wonderful. Brother, older, younger, younger, taller though. Taller. So he's the Matt Lundy of the, the basement brethren. He's the Matt basement of the basement. Is he Matt? Yeah. It's funny because because yeah that's that's the running joke with Matt and I is that he's the taller brother. So (laughs) it never seemed fair to me. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're a kid, you get older and taller. Yeah. Yeah. You don't realize that it could it's a, stop. It's got a raw deal, yeah. He's got hair, too. Oh, man. I, that's why I had to go to law school. Yeah, I've got to one-up him somehow. I wasn't going to win with the looks. Yeah. So is it just the two of you, you and your brother? Or is there a sister? Or is there uh, anything else? Just the brother. And where does he live? He's down in South Florida. So he, him, my parents. To live next to Matt Lundy? <laughs> no, but not that far. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah, there are, Sorry, I, I don't mean to. I think. My brother's in Palm Beach County. I think Matt's in Broward, so okay. just one county south. Okay. Are you guys close now? We're close enough that we don't have to talk. Oh, if that did. makes sense. No, so sure, yeah. Yeah, we don't. We, Does he have kids? He does. Yeah. So you have a niece or a nephew niece or both? A, niece and a nephew. Are you a good uncle? I don't think so, but it turns out you don't have to be. Yeah. I go down there, and they love me. It's true. It, the bar is so low to impress your nieces and nephews. You. I, I don't Basically even know why they. Yeah. I don't even know why they remember me. Yeah. I go down there like four times a year, and they just they're blown away. They they just love me. It's 
really you're, the best you're, relationship. You're a, you're a funny guy. Is, is, is your brother like you in that way or is it similar? Or? Not the same style of humor. Yeah. He, he's, he's kind of a, a, a goofy guy. Um, he's the pratfall guy and you're the, the, the he you is, know, he is the now. dry remark. He was the cool guy yeah. before and now he's sort of. The cool baseman. Yeah. You oh, say man. it like it's an oxymoron. I appreciate that. <laughs> the fact that you got what I was doing <laughs> and commented on it repeatedly is exactly why I love you. Yeah, you're... Um so in any event, um so let's let's go backwards a little bit. So formative years, elementary high school up in Philly? Uh elementary middle school up in Jersey. Okay. Um that's not true. Elementary school in Jersey, middle school in South Florida, high school South Florida. College, grad school, Florida State. So aside from your brother, you have other family down there in South Florida? Yeah. My parents are still down there. My grandmother is down there. I have an aunt and uncle. They all sort of slid down there. Baseman, are you Jewish or what's your what's your background? I'm of the Jews. Yeah. yeah. I am yeah. too. I, I've recently, I've always thought that I was Irish, Scottish almost completely, but I did my ancestry DNA and found out that I'm 10% Ashkenazi Jew and I couldn't be more thrilled about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, I, your I, stomach hurts ten percent of the time. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I'm telling everybody about it. I've, I've started uh, texting my my friends, you know, asking them where the meetings were, and you know, all, all these types of things. You yeah, know. you don't get to be part of the secret cabal with ten percent. Yeah, it's that's like a honorary <laughs> honorary Jewishness. This is good. I didn't think this would take an anti-Semitic turn, but this early in the show, usually we get there towards the end. Yeah. Oh no, we're still early. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. There's a lot more to go. We have a lot more uh, anti-Semitism to get through. Um, so growing up in South Florida, what was your thing? I, I, I know through a weird kind of connection with you that you've at least thought about playing music in some fashion. Is that something that was just a hobby later in life, or is that something that's always been around? I, I like – it's kind of you to say you know through a weird connection. You basically looted part of my house when I got divorced. I capitalized on your misfortune yeah. by taking – the only thing that had any meaning for you anymore, <laughs> your electric drum set and your keyboard. That's right. That's right. Um, so now I forgot the question. Were you into music in high school? I, I had a guitar. I took some guitar lessons. I got to the point where I could play bar chords and sort of knew, you know, the one, four, five sure progressions and i thought that's good enough so you, shit you play for the ramones yeah that's and that's that's basically what i play now and i i could play enough piano that somebody who doesn't play piano thinks i could play, wow, a you piano. Could play a piano. but where did that come from was there music in the family were you were you really into music as a kid like what kind of inspired you to even dabble in that i i don't have a good answer i was never into music i'm not even that into music now my dad can't clap on the beat yeah i i I don't even have a great sense of rhythm or anything. I just stumble into well, it, it somehow. It, 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 in a weird way, is an analytical uh, adventure. So you're, that part of your personality, it's, it's kind of a riddle that you're having to, or a knot that you're having to untie. So I could see it tickling you in that way. Yeah, I think writing a song is really about putting things together. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. I, I, so in my former life, before I had kids, I was really into mixed martial arts. I did tons of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu and kickboxing. And with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I don't know how familiar you are with it, but they call it kinetic chess. And so 
when you're when you're wrestling with a person, you're thinking moves and moves ahead. You know, I'm gonna grab their collar, hoping they grab my wrist, and when they reach out to grab my wrist, I'm gonna grab their sleeve. And so you're thinking moves ahead. And one of the great things about jujitsu is I met some of the most intelligent people I've ever come or come across in those classes. And again, it was something that just was a, a vocabulary or a language that scratched an intellectual itch for them so you know much in the way that you kind of got into the music I, I wonder if it's not the same type of thing yeah mine's just lonelier yeah well <laughs> maybe you should go to jujitsu you can roll around on the floor with guys with uh cups on and stuff yeah no i don't think not, not, martial not arts is the direction for me to I, go i think i think you're exactly the right person for that sport you say that as a person who does martial arts i understand why you would want me to do martial arts well i had if if you ask everybody me what, wants a victim if you asked me what we were talking about today i could tell you i didn't think it was going to be martial arts but with brazilian jiu-jitsu that whole art form was based off of people evening the playing field who maybe weren't physically as opposing as their opponent it's all it's all leverage it's not strength it's not weight so actually it was that art was built for people you, like me or not i was I, I, it, is, it always ends with an insult it it does i was just Whereas Carl does it up front, I do it on the back end. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to be that way. I'm a big fan of yours. Anyway, so um, law school. Let's talk law school. Um, temple. You said Temple, temple. right? Temple. Yeah. And uh, do, now you've kind of fallen either by design or by happenstance into the appellate world uh, in, in, in you know your current incarnation of your career. Were you a moot court person, a law review person? Was that something that... Yeah, I, I was a law review person. I was somebody who really liked the um, the legal writing course we took that had an appellate component to it. What did you major in undergrad? Uh, it was rhetorical and political communication oh, wow. theory, something like that. Or th that was at least the grad school designation. It's one of those useless degrees. It was a situation where I was absolutely on the professor track. Right. And you'd be such a good one, too. I, I, you know, I taught during grad school. I really liked it. I could go back to that. But, yeah, I was writing my thesis in grad school. And what, what were you in grad school for? T t I wasn't ready to be a real but, but boy you, yet. You, sure. Grad school, though, like, do you, are you choosing an area or is it, was it, it, it? It was broadly communication, communication theory. Okay. I, I kind of got fascinated by that. I had some good professors uh, at the end of undergrad and wanted to keep pursuing it. Um, so I was doing that and, and really on the professor track. And then somebody brought it to my attention that professor's salaries at a public university are public. And I looked at them. And I said, I'm not going to do this. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> nah. <laughs> I no just thanks. don't like the return on investment. That, it, it, uh, yeah. that was exactly right. Yeah. So uh, law school at Temple, um, and and what was your first job right out of law school? Was it was it Older and Lundy? Or yeah. Did you, okay. How did you get connected with them? I. So, I I liked law school as much as anybody could really like law school. The only class I hated, the only one, the only one I told people do not take this course was family law. I hated it. Well, at least you had a family law course in law school. We didn't even have it at Stetson. Oh, yeah? It might have been like an elective or something like elder law or something. But yeah. Th This was an elective. Yeah. Um, and I hated it. Yeah. It, it just didn't feel very law-y to me. Yeah. I mean, the answer to every question was best interest of the child. So I did not apply. I, I applied to clerkships. I applied to all kinds of jobs. 
I would not apply to family law jobs. None of that. But why in Tampa? Like, was anybody in Tampa? The the woman I was dating at the time had family in Tampa, ah. so I knew I wanted to come back to Florida. So I was I was applying around South Florida where my parents are in Tampa, and then any city that I sort of knew. Could see that, yourself being in. Yeah, yeah I wasn't going to go to the Panhandle. Yeah, that's not where I. Yeah. <laughs> that's back. not where I should be. Getting back to anti-Semitism. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Tampa. So now, was this girl that you're dating? Is this who you ended up marrying, or is this someone? No, 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 okay. no, no. You get around, all right? Yeah, yeah. I've had like <laughs> three or four girlfriends. I'm really, really the Romeo. Yeah, I'm almost onto a second hand now. You can take that however you want. So anyway, so uh, well, but I mean, wow, did you stumble into a good firm? Yeah. So I, I wound up again. My only rule was no family law, and I wound up getting an offer from an insurance defense firm, and. I then sort of researched them and wasn't crazy about what I saw. And I they were in Tampa. And for some reason, I just decided to do a, another shotgun of applications to places I hadn't done in Tampa. And they were almost all family law. Yeah. And Older and Lundy picked me up. And I think I think it was Matt Lundy who really liked he, me. Was he still working there at the time? He was working there. He was in my, my interview. Um, I, I think... He and I really got along. Very I, could, well. you, I could. I I I I would like to take the two of you out drinking sometime. I, I think I would be amused to just sit there and listen to the both of you talk. And I'll I'll say I had on my resume as a as a desperation ploy that I could solve a Rubik's cube in thirty seconds. And I think primarily they wanted to see if that strong, was strong strong move. And knowing your audience, that was a very keen keen and adept. Uh, decision there so was it just mad in the interview or did you have did you have it, did you play guitar with ben or did you you know no i think it was mike and matt and then i think they felt good about me and i needed to fly out to fly back to philly that day so they sort of stuck me in their conference room and then every Sweated other attorney yeah. made the rounds at some point this was in the office over there by dats on uh yeah 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 so, uh, so Mike, you know, Mike is very much an alpha, and I wouldn't put you in that camp as far as an alpha. But that said, academically, intellectually, you are an alpha, whether by design or not. I mean, you have become the person you call now. Uh, I mentioned you in a litany of people. So when I started, uh, when I left the state attorney's office in 2005, I went on my own, and I said very early on, there's no way I'm going to be able to do pay what I need to pay, support my family just doing criminal defense. So what is it that no one else wants to do? There must be a lot of work there. And family law being the obvious choice, got into family law and taught it to myself, uh, which you can decide how well, of, how good of a teacher I am. <laughs> but, um, you know, I didn't work for anybody. I just I learned it all on my own and through, through time and everything. But uh, a year, so a couple years after I started my practice, my wife left the state attorney's office and she did one year for Sandy Solomon and Robert Tropp. And she worked with Robert Tropp, Matt Thatcher, Sandy Solomon. And so uh, Robert was on his way out, um, but was amazing dealing with clients in, the, in, in his you know, intake, was really good in the courtroom. He's one of these older attorneys like, you meant, you know, like Baccarella or Arnie Levine or, that can just kind of walk into a, co a, a, a courtroom and their personality gets them what they're looking for. Sandy uh, has definitely softened up over the years. At that time, he was he was a pretty 
extremely rigid person, but Matt was my brain. Matt was my person that, you know, there was a period of a couple of years where I just wouldn't leave him alone. And then uh, thereafter, I met Fred at Pollock at uh, Regina Hunter's office, yeah. and obviously Lawrence Hodds is another one. Uh, you know, I bothered Damon McKinney and Richard Mockler a lot, but you're, you're definitely become kind of the guy locally who's kind of the encyclopedia on stuff. And it's funny to me, you saying as much as you didn't want to do family law, how amazing you've become at it. Was that, is that just your natural proclivity to, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it I think, 110% or how, how did that happen? So you, I think it, I think it comes from a place of inherent low self-esteem. So it's I, an ego thing. I'm going to know more than everybody else. No, it's that oh, okay. I am. I never feel like I know anything, okay. and I'm terrified to get called out on it. So I don't walk into a hearing without knowing everything the other side can argue, knowing the case law, really over preparing, and and even not just hearings. I, you know, if I have a consult, if I have anything like that, I then have to research everything I can about that issue. And, I'm and so again, jealous of you. Here's the, here's the problem. Yeah, yeah I, I'm jealous of you because you'll you'll call me on the way to a hearing and you'll say, <laughs> I don't know anything about what we're gonna, I'm... We're going to edit this part. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know what's going He's on. He's making this up completely. I'm hungover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can you just tell me, yeah. say, say some words I can There's say. There's a body in my trunk. I don't know smart. where these drugs came from. And no, but but there is, there is something. I, I do envy the kind of person who can walk into court and know that they can just deal with anything that happens just well that's that so being a prosecutor doing a lot of trial work doing the trial team at Stetson I got very comfortable going into trial which as you st and I think we're both hopefully over overstating the case a little bit but um you know I I'm comfortable in the trial but you know there's two parts that make a whole attorney. There's the trial part and there's the academic part. Now, if you're doing, you know, appellate stuff, you know, you're, you're, it's a little bit of a different animal. But um, I just you you so completely occupy spaces that I just don't. I don't have it in my nature. I I think I'm ADHD. I I, I just my eyes glaze over after I get about a paragraph or two into a case, and I'm just like, what is this? Just tell me what this case says. And, and you're the guy who knows what it says. And not only that, but you know the history of why it says it. And you know the dissenting opinions. And you know the legislative intent behind the law that's being applied. And so I have such an appreciation for that because it's so alien to me. Um, and it's interesting to hear that it's a, it's a low self-confidence thing because I, a, I wouldn't have suspected yeah. that. I, I feel like if somebody calls me and asks me a question and I say, I don't know, I'm just embarrassed. Yeah. I feel like they're really... But has that me. been always your way, even before being an attorney? Were, were you that way in grad school? Were you that way as a kid? Or were you that way? Like, are there other things that you know that well? Like, you, you, obviously, you don't follow the, the the Phillies or the Eagles like you follow, you know, the, the Florida Law Weekly. So, you know, has that personality trait reared its head in other aspects of your life? I haven't really thought about that. I, I definitely was not. I mean, I was a good student, but I wasn't. I was more comfortable doing what I had to do to get by. I don't think any of this was part of who I was. I, I think as I went through grad school, I fell into wanting to be the person who had, you know, read the the research and the articles. And I liked when my classmates would come to me to lead a study group or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I definitely liked that in law school. So I, 
I don't you, know. You, you, you like a butterfly. You just evolved into the Mark Baseman of today. I, I suppose. Um, so I don't know if it was always from a place of low self-esteem, but. Um, well, you, 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 you play, you play the songs the crowd wants to hear. You know, you, you, you play to your strengths. You know, this is something you're good at. This is something you're recognized for doing. So, as you receive accolade and recognition of your achievements, you probably have a greater desire to achieve in that area. I don't know. If yeah, you, you get the positive reinforcement, and you, you go off into that direction. Right. And, and, you know, I started doing the trial work and slowly worked my way into appeals. And now I, I feel like I've kind of pushed myself into into that range, and, and that's where I want to be now. Well, and as much as people don't want to do family law, they really don't want to do family law appeals. So there is a big niche for you to kind of yeah. fill. And so, you know, if you like it and you're good at it, you, you've got a lane all to yourself. I think the more appropriate way of putting it is I like it more than trial work. Well, and that's fair. I mean, yeah, <laughs> tri- that's fair. So the trial stuff is miserable. Yeah, I mean, you, trial notebooks and discovery deadlines. I mean, you, you've got, you know, the appellate world has its all, whole other set of headaches with it. But, uh, you know, if I think once you get comfortable with it, it's it's a little bit more assembly line and not quite so crazy. Would you agree? Or it, It's cases are a lot more predictable the day they walk in the door. Yeah. And, you know, something that makes family law at the trial level particularly hard and i think harder than other areas of law is that the facts one week after you do the consultation are different and then the next week they're different and the day before trial the facts are different than they were at the pre-trial conference it it, it is new stuff to learn all the time what and the law can be different throughout the course of that case in I, some circumstances absolutely what makes me a little more comfortable doing the appellate stuff is that the it's the cold record it's what it already occurred yeah yeah the the clients say to me i gotta tell you what happened at this trial and i say that's that's just gonna poison the well yeah i uh you and i really don't even need to talk yeah Yeah. um it's better for me to be like the appellate court and look at that record and, and not have any outside information yeah yeah so um at some point along the way, uh, you decide to leave uh, Older and Lundy and strike out uh, with partners who were colleagues there and two of my favorite people uh, in the local family law bar, the Felixes. Uh, were you guys close when you were there, or is that something that kind of happened towards the end? Or um, yeah, I, We were friendly. I, I mean, every, everybody... Uh, Older and Lundy was a really good, good environment. work environment. So I think I was friends with everybody sure. there. Um, I, you know, I don't think we would go over to each other's houses all the time. Yeah, but well, they, they've had, their kids are pretty, I mean, they've been encumbered by children for the greater majority of their adulthood. If I, I think their son is a teenager, right? Their son is a teenager. Yeah. Their daughter is very mean to me. And, and as, as, as she probably should be. She... <laughs> so uh, to tell you a story about her daughter, which I I don't know, I think that's appropriate. I think so too. <laughs> um, she she's like a lot of little girls where they're they're not just mean, they're evil, meaning they know how to get to your they, soul. your weakest point and just capitalize on. So this. my favorite story about her is we we all went to Bush Gardens back when you could go there, mm-hmm. um, and they know the Felixes know I don't I don't do well with kids. I don't know how to talk to them. And we were sort of running over to one of the smaller rides, that small roller coaster yeah. they have, and they all stayed behind. So I get in the line with just 
the daughter in me. And it's it's a bit of a line. It's, it might be 20 minutes. Yeah. And at some point, she orders me to sit on the floor, which I do, because I, yeah. I don't know what else to do. Yeah. And she's, she's poking at my head, and she says, do you think you have hair? Oh. Now, think about how much crueler that is than saying you're bald. Yeah. Because kids say things that are yeah. mean. Kids call you fat, stuff like that. Yeah. But she was in my head. She wanted me to say, no, I think I have hair. Yeah. So she could break it to me. Yeah. Or that maybe you're, you're, you're not bright enough to realize, you know, your lot in life. Or there's just all sorts of, there's a lot to unpack there. She just, she was setting up. It was chess for her. It oh, yeah. was she was setting me up so she could make the the, the kill. So my daughter, my daughter and I have a love hate relationship. She lo- she daddy she wants daddy to put her to bed at night. So when mommy puts her to bed, they read books and all this other stuff. When daddy puts her to bed, daddy puts an iPad in front of her and daddy's on his phone. And uh, I'll, at a certain point, way later than I should, I tell her you got to turn it off. And she wants me to scratch her back, whatever. She's never happy with the back scratch that I give her. And she always tells me my breath smells like hot garbage. So that's the last experience that I have with my daughter every night is that my breath smells like hot garbage. Nobody has ever told me a story about kids that makes me want to have kids. Well, I, I've got them, but but I, I kind of like you not, not getting along with kids. It just it amuses me. And, and I, I just We don't have anything to talk about. Right, right, right. But you're probably introducing them to, you know, you know, brutal realities of life much earlier than they would otherwise have with other people. So yeah, I guess there's a need for that. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta sharpen their sword a little bit. So, um, you and uh, Matt and Jessica go out on your own, and Felix, Felix, and Baseman, which you guys have. uh, Just interrupt. Do you have notes in front of you? Nope. Are you okay? All right. It looked like you were looking down at notes, and I was going to be really impressed. Oh, don't. No, no. I, if I get through this interview without impressing you, then that, that's then my why job's I done. checked. I yeah. didn't want to no, falsely be impressed. My, my, my big, my big uh, dread is that I'm not recording or that somehow it's turned off. So every now and again, I'll look at the screen to make sure that we're we're getting got this it on the record. S- sorry about the so, interruption. Yeah, please continue to not be impressed by me. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I, I think you and I were joking the other, but I, I, I do think that Matt might be a CIA agent or a foreign spy or something else he is the most unshakable even keel just down-to-earth person you'd ever met and i I think he must be masking some sort of sociopathic rage or his attitude is always or something his attitude is always that he seems to know there's something bigger going on so none of what's happening here is too reasonable i don't like it to worry about it shakes me like he knows yeah he knows the feds are out there ready to take this whole thing down and rescue him from any situation yeah i i I do not understand or empathize with his feelings on anything i've only had the one case with jessica and i love her i asked her to be on but she said she hates the sound of her voice so she would never come on but um you know maybe i'll get mad on and 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 see if i can uh, do a deep dive and figure out his true identity but um uh you you guys have definitely uh built built your own empire over there so as I understand it, they're doing more of the trial work and you're doing the appellate stuff. Is that how that's kind of shaken out? They do trial work. Jess does a lot of mediations. Okay. I think her dream is to just be a mediator at some point. Not a bad dream. No. We all, all, all of the uh, litigation family law attorneys are secretly looking for a way out. I know that I would be the worst fucking mediator ever in the history of mediators. 
And I've had some shitty ones. I, I don't think you'd be the worst. We could name names. Yeah. We mentioned some names before we were recording. Yeah. Um, but you'd be bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would insert my bedside manner would be awful. I would be screaming at people. Well, I, would... I think you'd be one of the types who's just like, are you fucking kidding? Yeah, stop, yeah. stop. Yeah, Settle yeah. this case. Yeah. I, I'm not I'm not writing anything down. We can estimate. Yeah. Just be done with this. Yeah. And yeah. and that's not always. Can we what... call it five hundred thousand and we're done? It's yeah, like... that's not always what <laughs> people want to hear in that moment of their life. I, I, I'm somewhat sad that my worst fears are coming true, that you actually feel the way about me that I think that you felt the way about me. So oh well. <laughs> oh well. Uh, in any event, so um is 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 appellate is appellate work kind of the stopping point for you? Do you have do you have desires of being on the bench or uh, doing anything else? I think I would love to be. I think you'd be judge. an amazing judge. I amazing appellate judge, amazing Supreme Court judge. I I appreciate that. I would I would take trial level. I don't even hate family law. It's a pay enough. cut though for you, or or you're getting pretty close to it being a pay cut to you. Yeah, but the power trip. So good, so good. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. And this is what I talk about <laughs> a lot with uh, people running for the campaign is how awful I think it is that ego would be the reason for you to seek the bench. But for you, I, I kind of like it. kind of like the idea of like kind of the dark lord of family law. <laughs> so, so in I, some ways, I think that would be good. I, I, I think a good quality is that I don't believe I deserve to be a yeah. judge. And well, I, that's I think, the thing is I never want to be a member of a club that would have me as a member, whatever that saying goes. I, I, think, I almost think that being a judge should be like uh, the draft, like attorneys should have to serve a term on the bench I, absolutely like you should get you should get voted into it by your peers potentially but kicking and screaming yeah i really don't want to do this but everybody thinks i'd be good at it that's right. the type of judge that i want to have um now i don't want to talk about sore topics but since you kind of brought it up I, i'll ask a little bit about it uh did your divorce impact the way that you practice family law the way that you see family law i mean luckily i think you got out of it somewhat clean meaning there wasn't Correct. kids to fight about it wasn't a long term so not it, a big it, it was not type. a brutal it wasn't yeah. a i hate you kind of thing it was a you know the simplest kind of yeah it's not working yeah. thing you could have um i will say and, and i don't want this to come off as too evil before that it had never occurred to me that my clients might be sad yeah never yeah. never crossed my mind that they might be thinking something other than strategy. Yeah. Um, and now, you know, to pat myself on the back, I, I think it makes you a better attorney to edit that stuff out anyway and to be able to If you're going to have a problem, not being empathetic is probably a good one to have. Right, yeah. because the court's not going to be empathetic. No, and you're probably much quicker to pick up on problems with a case than yeah, and, if you're and, a true believer. And empathy makes the case a lot more expensive. Yeah. Um, I think That's it's better my for my— downfall. Where yeah. you are analytical and logical, I'm 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 a brawler in the fact that I'm if if I feel morally or emotionally convicted about a case, I will fight the judge, I will fight the law, I will fight opposing counsel. I you know I'll go and, down swinging. And my counterexample is like the other day I was talking to a client and talking about how to settle the case and, and everything, and she was saying, "I want justice. I I I want justice. I want to go to court." I deserve justice. And I said, justice? Who taught you that word? Yeah. That, that's that's not what this is. Here's a, here's a statute book. Find me that word in there Th somewhere. That's not in there. Yeah. 
Um, equity sounds like that, but it's yeah, not. equity and fair are not the same thing. No, yeah, yeah. in some ways they're they're they can be opposites. Sure. Um, I think that's important to say. You lose every case yeah. because you're not going to be happy at the end of the Well, that's of true. I, and as a question, I don't know if you get when you're doing consultations, but I always love how many cases have you won? It's like, well, by what metric are we discussing? Everybody got divorced. In, in my mind. Everybody lost their money. Everybody. Yeah. You know. And again, I do almost no trial level stuff anymore. Yeah. But in my mind, I, I don't ever feel like I won a case. And the problem is I am so skeptical of the system and litigation adverse to begin with that I don't like walking into court unless I'm 100% sure I should win. Yeah. So if I win, I walk away and I say to the client, I don't even know why we were here. Sorry this cost you so much money. That's a loss. Yeah. And if we lose, when I'm supposed to 100% win, I, an I just— awful feeling. Yeah, and that's all I remember. I, so, I, you know, they have, they have these luncheons that they do at the courthouse every now and again called a view from the bench where the judges like to kind of tell you about what they're seeing from the bench, what their likes and dislikes are. So it might be hack, but I kind of want to have that conversation with you about a, a view from the appellate perch that you find yourself in. Uh, I, I, I was very pleased both in my conversations with Matt and Mike Lundy to hear how against they are the way that the courts treat time sharing and tr treat parenting and how that almost should be removed from the legal system and made more of like a, a health department of health issue yeah. or some kind of conciliatory. So I'm going to kind of ask you this and in, in what the state of the law, the state of the bench, and maybe the things that you see that attorneys do the most that you hate or that they could fix or whatever. So you can take those in any order that you want. So I'll talk a little bit about timesharing and the law. And, and one of the things with timesharing and, and custody and, and all that is that you almost never have an appellate issue. Yeah. Because the, the uh, broad discretion. The, by the yeah. The discretion court. is almost unlimited. As long as they don't say something insane, they can get away with almost anything. And, and not to say the judges don't, but. A certain judge who we both know because you've helped me uh, said that uh, they should be able to fix their pool. They should just go hire someone Spanish. They can get it done more inexpensively. <laughs> so we've now jumped from the anti-Semitic portion of the of the podcast to the, you know, anti-Latino portion of the podcast. But I just, I just, I just, it washed over me like I don't even. Like, fair play to you. You just said something that I don't even know how to respond to. So yeah. anyways, going back. Sorry. So so what I was going to say is from a personal philosophy standpoint, I think the judges intervene way too much in timesharing. To me, you know, there should probably be something close to a default of 50-50. And not because I necessarily think that's best for kids, but because I think both parents have that constitutional right. And in most cases, there's no reason to, to do less than that. But in terms of courts getting involved and post-judgment and things like that and, you know, tweaking the schedule, to me, the test should be something closer to if the government couldn't get involved when you were married, the court shouldn't be doing it now. I don't think the court should be determining, um, you know, it, it, even these, these little things that come up. But you know, the court should be reluctant to say where the child goes to school and, and, and yeah. stuff like that. Because if parents disagree with uh, on that when they're married, well, there's nothing the court can do. Right. So now it, all of a sudden the court is a third party to this. The court gets 
the government gets all kinds of powers right. just because you terminated a relationship or, or happen to have a child out of wedlock. And, and I, I understand the counter arguments to it, but our court system is really clogged with what ultimately are kind of petty fights. Yeah. And, and the court shouldn't be just weighing, in most cases, who the better parent is. You have a right to be a lousy parent. Oh, shit. Yeah, I grew up in the 70s, man. It was blowing smoke in your face, no seatbelts. Right. You know, just, oh, you're nine. You, you should be okay while we go out to a movie. <laughs> I'm not saying these are my parents, but, I mean, you no, know. No, I think you did. The stuff that we, <laughs> the stuff that we litigate today, I, I was like, this is my childhood we're talking about. And, and then the worst part of it is that the judges sometimes bite on it, yeah. frequently bite on yeah. it. And I think inadvertently... Uh, increase the litigation because yeah. I think we could probably name right now which judges don't gr- don't tend to grant silly emergency motions and which ones do. Yeah, and and I I don't know why they I know they're all in their hearts trying to do the right thing, but they're they're making more work. They're making it harder for Job an attorney security in some ways. Yeah, I know, but they're making it harder for an attorney in an initial consult to say sorry, the court happen. system just doesn't care about that. Right, right, right. Um. What would you think? I've always kind of thought that almost having a guardian ad litem is a mandatory part of the process with children. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's an expense, but I think it could cut down on trials. It could cut down if it was done the right way and not just like a social investigation where they kind of mail it in. I I think that that would help. I I think that's something worth considering. Um, I, I think, honestly, I think some of the problem is the rigidity of the legal system to begin with, the fact that a final judgment needs a substantial change, things like that. Like, I, I've sort of, this is not a perfect solution, but I, I've kind of talked about it before, where I, I could see a, a much more functional law just saying there's a strong presumption of 50-50. It wouldn't apply in all cases, especially when distance is an issue, but we do 50-50, but we acknowledge that the divorce itself is the first substantial change in circumstances. So if after a year it isn't working, then you can have that first best interest fight that you would have had anyway. It's right. not a new fight. It's just pushing it down the road. Because I think I think a lot about the litigation itself causes the people to, take to be positions. much more adversarial than they otherwise right. would be. I mean, no matter how nice you try to write a letter as an attorney to the other attorney— you either come off as an asshole or a condescending asshole. Yeah. Those are the only two options. And, you know, the wife thinks it's the husband pushing it and the husband thinks it's the wife and it just spirals out of control. The quicker we could get people out of litigation the first time around, the more of a chance they would have. I think that makes sense. And that's that's pretty similar to, you know, some of the views that Mike and Matt had expressed to me. So that's your view of the law. And it kind of touched on the, the judges. But what, what is it? What are the mistakes that you see judges making? A lot, or what are you know? Are there certain areas of the law and family law that they get wrong more often than not? Or so, I mean, this is this is not a huge issue, but I don't think I've ever seen a judge correctly rule on a leading objection. Yeah, yeah. I, I leading is a very specific type of question. It's usually a question that ends with the word correct. Yes, it's the light was green. Correct. Was the light green is not a leading question even did. though it's a they yes hate or no did questions yeah did you do this yeah you you can and you can ask a yes or no question yeah. it's not necessarily leading unless you're feeding the answer at the same right, time right. and and i see that wrong in every single transcript I admission read. by party opponent always always wrong uh 
the person testifying on the stand to something they said off the stand. Yep. I mean, I as a this this is the one area where I can hold my own pretty well is on evidence objections because of trial team and working at the state, but hearsay just understanding hearsay is just oh, if you've ever had a situation where the other side has their client on the stand and their client is saying well i said this and i said yeah. that and you object to hearsay the look you get like from the other alien. attorney and the judge yeah. is what are you talking about and and it, it's tricky sometimes when you're going through a back and forth conversation because sometimes i guess you're introducing it really to show the context of the response or something something like that but no you're absolutely right I had a I had a, a, a what was supposed to be a final hearing earlier this week in downtown St. Pete, and they have not adopted Zoom. So we're doing a telephonic final hearing oh on a modification of final judgment. And so this judge uh, says, you know, Mr. Sheridan, you, you represent the petitioner. Go ahead. And um, I start just to give a very brief opening. Almost immediately interrupts me and starts asking the respondent questions. And, uh-huh. I, and I said, okay, okay, you know. This is another one that, yeah. that judges don't fully understand that they are allowed to ask questions to clarify and, and sort of within that scope. But you can't advocate from the bench. They can't lead the case. They can't put the other person's case on for them. And I see that in a lot of transcripts. A lot as of well. times. So he does this to me two or three times during the course of my opening and then during my uh, direct of my client. And then he stops me mid question. He goes, Mr. Sheridan, I just want to let you know. That I uh, I uh, give less import to answers by a party if they're being led. I'm not saying you're doing it, but I just wanted to you know let you know. And I was like, so you're 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 objecting to leading after repeatedly interrupting my opening statement and my direct to ask questions of the respondent and basically give him teeth to an argument that he doesn't. Have. I was like, which which rules are we holding as important and which ones are we not? You know, like. I can appreciate a judge if they're just loosey goosey across the the, yeah. the, the 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 way, or if they're super, you know, rigid. But it's when they pick and choose what what is important to them that drives me nuts. And, and this is why it's really hard for me to to practice at the trial level. Yeah, because because of things like that, it, it sometimes feels like it doesn't matter how prepared you are or what side you're on. You just you don't know, and it, it's not just the judges. It, it's it's the system. It's the way the law is. At least at the appellate level, you you have a sense. You know the deck is stacked against you if you're the appellant. Um, well, then you've got a uh, what do they call it? You've got more than one judge. You've got you've got a panel. Panel. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Who is it that we've got here locally now? Is is Lucas Sleet? Is it, who are the? You mean people who came from the family law bench? No. Who are the judges lo- in the second DCA? Oh, that... I'll, I'm I'm just bad with names in general. Okay, but we have. There's Battle of Mente, there's Lucas, there's Sleet, there's Northcutt. Um, I, you, you remind me of Lucas for some reason. I, so when he, when he took over for Judge Sleet a little while ago, Mike Lundy and I happened to be in for a, a cattle call case management right. conference. Nobody had met Judge Lucas. And he walked in and Mike turned to me and he's like, no. Yeah. It's like, you got to, when you get up there, you got to introduce yourself as Judge Lucas. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I, I've, I've gotten that before. And in fact, at networking events, inns of court, uh, holiday parties and things, 
I can almost guarantee that one or two people will come up mistake me every is. time. Either mistake me for, for him or one of the other. That's hilarious. You know, so framed balding judges that tend to tend to come and go. I, super smart, intellectual. Thank you. Giants in the family law field. Why don't you be positive for a minute? Um, so we've talked about the state of the law. We've talked about the bench. What about the uh, bar? What 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 are big mistakes that you're seeing attorneys make? And, and please don't make every example questions that I've come to. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it, it the biggest mistake is always preservation of error yeah. kinds of issues, and, and I understand a lot of that is strategic. Yeah. I, I've been there myself. You don't want to sit there and object constantly yeah. when the judge has already ruled something isn't hearsay yeah. or something like that. And, and, and I appreciate that. And frankly, I can't think of a family law case I've ever seen on appeal where the issue came down to a little bit of evidence got in or didn't. Yeah. I, I, I'm probably wrong about that. But for the most part, there's so much evidence on every factor that keeping one thing out here or there doesn't really matter. What I see most of all in this arena, though, is a judge not allowing a witness to come and yeah. testify or, or something big, and the attorney doesn't proffer what they were going to say. And I understand why, because There's I've a seen... There's fear there, especially I've for people judges who don't... Get, yeah, I've seen judges get mad. I've heard of judges who slam the table and walk out of the room when you say you're going to do that. And again, at the end of the day, any good lawyer knows that winning an appeal is a you know, 15 20% chance on a good day. Yeah. And the judge in front of you right now can secretly weigh his or her feelings about you in coming up with the outcome. Right. And, and I, I actually, I have a lot of pity for attorneys who I think made strategic decisions and on appeal, you know, we get the answer brief back and it's saying, you didn't preserve this, you didn't preserve yeah. that. And the client is saying to me, did my attorney fail Mess to up, do that? Yeah. Are, are they right? And, you know, I, I don't want to throw an attorney under the bus. It's hard to, Monday morning quarterback a trial because you know you, you mentioned I like to look at the cold hard record because that's what the appellate court is looking at but it does not put a lot of it in context of you know how was I being treated by the judge what was the faces that were being made how late did they take the bench what was you know there's just all sorts of intangible it's a oh, dynamic yeah. thing that you're doing so I, I've, I've written an answer brief ref, uh, recently where the other side argued that they didn't object because during their last objection, the judge screamed at them yeah. and, and basically terrified the attorney. And, of course, my response is, well, it's not preserved, but I know the judge. I'm pretty sure that happened. Yeah. And I, I fully get it. Um, but, you know, from an appellate perspective, you got to do that. You got to you got to know when they don't you sign need your to checks. Do. They don't sign, you know, and yeah. I. They have power, you know, I've heard of judges bar grieving attorneys and doing all these things. And, you know, this is not necessarily the last case you're going to have in front of these judges. So there's you got to kind of at least consider that. But I, I just I never want a judge's personal feeling like I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't it's probably a flaw, but I'm not going to be scared of a judge. I'm just not going to be scared of a judge. No, you're 100 percent right. But, you know. Is this the case to fall on your sword? Well, that's when just it, yeah. That's going to affect not only the clients you have now, but potential future clients that you have in front of this judge. Like, you 
you do have to kiss a little ass in your practice. You do. But the, the good practice I had for that was being a private defense attorney because you're dealing with state attorney's offices and you have to constantly understand that whichever attorney you're talking to is the tip of a much bigger iceberg. And as much as you want to, you know, trade paint with them and kind of mix it up, you understand you, you could very potentially turn an office against you <laughs> who holds your ability to get deals done in other cases. So in, in a very similar way, dealing with judges, it's like, yeah, you're wrong here. I probably won't win this on an appeal. I don't know how big of an issue this is in the context of the case. I'm really annoyed with your ruling, but yeah. it probably should just take it on the chin and mm-hmm. keep moving. But so. you know, in what you say, it, this pulls it out of the appellate context, but it, it benefits your current and future clients to be nice to the other attorneys you're dealing with. Yeah. It, it really it really does. Yeah. And it's hard. It's, it's hard often. but It, it is. Yeah. Um, but I tend to think it benefits my clients in the long run to be nicer to the other attorneys. Um, but you're right. There are, there are some who push me beyond. But you're good at not being – sounding nice, not being nice. <laughs> I don't know if that's a compliment or again a, a, a jab, but you, no, you know, I'll take it. I don't think, yeah, I, that's what again. I, I I I just love dry humor. I love passive aggressive behavior. <laughs> I love subtext. I love, you know, putting something out there that you know is like an onion, which just has a bunch of layers that you can peel away. I from sometimes it. like to see what I can get away with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So anyway, well, I, I can't tell you how thankful I am that you took oh, time sure. out of your busy day to, to come and stop by. Uh, I'm, I, I truly am a big fan of yours and impressed by your acumen uh, in the law. And I'm happy to know you and have your cell phone number that I can use, use in a pinch. So, And, and I, I say this to other attorneys all the time, and I don't think they take me seriously. But as an appellate attorney... I'm so happy if you call me in the middle of a case and ask me questions. If you waste an hour of my time, it's an investment for me. Like it, it and you, you more than understand that. Um, <laughs> See, he just did it. He just did it. That was it right there. I, Go ahead. No, I that that thought is, is is what it is. I do I get a T-shirt out of this? You do. do I get what a free size are t-shirt? you? Do you want to say it on the air, or should we wait till? I off mean, here? I, I'm working you look like my you're way. Working to, out, I, yeah. I'm working my way back to medium. Okay. So maybe I'll get an aspirational medium. Okay, an aspirational medium. Yeah. I might even name that. I, I'm, I'm enjoying <laughs> episode names. I might call an aspirational medium with with. Mark I think Baseman. that's a good way to describe. It sounds me. like a Smith song or something. <laughs> so anyway. Thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. Uh, it was great talking to you. No, this was more fun than I thought it would be. <laughs> <It's> like, again, <laughs> he does it every time. I love it. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.